Good morning, everybody. Good to be here with you. And we're in our last sermon from Romans chapter 8. And we've been going through for the last few weeks now. Dave preached a wonderful sermon last week entitled More Than Conquerors, where we looked at what what does it really mean? What is Paul getting at when we talk about conquering in Christ? And we're going to actually repeat the last four verses of last week because we've been doing a slow read and we've been reinforcing themes and so I'm hoping what that's doing is helping you to really absorb the great beauty of this chapter of the Bible which I find to be so important um, and so meaningful to me especially in this season so I'm going to invite you to be in Romans 8 you can get a pew Bible you can follow along on the screen or however You get the scripture. And I'm going to be starting at verse 35 this morning. It says this, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written... For your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we pray now that you would open our heart, that we might receive your word. Lord, uh, you are the one that has brought us to this place Um, You know each and every person here. You know what is um, on their heart. You know the morning they had and the week they had and the month that they had. And I pray that your comfort, your peace, um, and your truth would come so that they could hear from you and know what they should do in light of who you are. In your precious and holy name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, Uh, Today's the day, isn't it? Uh, Today is the day, especially for our kiddos. And I've told you, uh, for the last two years, there's been this ongoing drama on Halloween between my household and my neighbor's household. Uh, And you may remember, maybe you don't, that my next-door neighbor has one of those... uh, contraptions that when you ring the doorbell a hand pops out one of those skeleton hands pops out and scares everybody who comes up to go trick-or-treating well my son has been fallen victim to this uh, scare for the two years in a row and last year in particular we were thrown because it was such a year of anxiety about what we should do about Halloween and being safe, etc. 
And so, of course, the very first house he goes to trick-or-treat at, he hits that doorbell, he's scared, he jumps over the bushes, starts running, he runs all the way back to our house, and he's ready to be done with trick-or-treating. But uh, this year, I saw him one day writing and drawing some pictures, and I was like, okay, that looks kind of like a hand, like a skeleton hand, and couple other things, and so I asked him, what are you doing, Remy? This is my six-year-old. What are, you, what are you drawing? He said, these are my plans for how I'm going to get the candy from the neighbor and not get scared this year, Dad. So he's ready, so I'm excited for tonight to see how that plan comes to fruition. <laughs> um, and, you know, of all the things we could say about Halloween, um, you know, of course, consumerism is such a huge part of what Halloween is and so much of our holidays, so I don't fully endorse any of that. Um, but one of the things that's interesting to think about is what is interesting about Halloween? Why does it resonate with people, and why does it uh, continue to be a holiday? I think part of it, the theme of it, maybe that uh, still resonates, is something to do with the fact that we dress up like all the big scary things, um, in particular, there's a lot of, like, death and decay. I don't know if you've been seeing around, like, you know, there's cars even with, like, blood coming. I don't know. There's just all kinds of stuff going on. You see it. And, and why is it that human beings do these strange things? Perhaps part of it is because we're drawing out uh, what is big and scary, the monsters, um, and, and we're looking at them, and we're saying, you know what? These monsters maybe aren't quite as scary. Uh, as we think they are. And so that's going to be a way into our theme today. Because uh, I love reading uh, this uh, chapter uh, from Romans in this way because it's slow and we can think about what did Paul have in mind? What was God speaking through Paul as he was writing these words down? As he's creating a litany of uh, scary things, uh, both things that are imagined, and things that are very real for his audience. And one of the things that we see is kind of an underlying text for the driving of what Paul is getting at and where it's rooted in is this quote from Psalm 44 um, that we just read. I'll just read the first part of it. It says this, For your sake we face death all day long. Uh, this is a, from Psalm 44. This is uh, not a good news, happy psalm. This is a psalm written from a dutiful, faithful follower of the law and of what God requires. And yet, a complaint is risen why am I still experiencing death? Why am I still going through hard times? Why am I losing? And it says, for your sake, meaning that I'm following the right path. I'm doing the right things. I'm doing, God, what you told me to do, and yet I'm still experiencing resistance. I'm still coming against great suffering and obstacles. And so, in a way, the invitation is to think up, to conjure up, what are the biggest foes? 
What are the big threats, both real and imagined? What are we afraid of? Because this life can be a scary place. And as we build on our theme of birth, of childbirth, what is the way we know that we're alive first? When the baby is born, right, and they get that first breath of life in the world, what we're looking for is a cry. This expression, you're alive through knowing that now I'm alive, there's a lot of things to cry over, to be upset about, uh, to experience life is to experience pain. And so there's a way in which babies remind us that to be alive is to go through it, to go through all the hard stuff. Um, our, our lives are not smooth sailing by any means. We try really hard to make them that way, but even when we can do a really good job, we've got a lot of resources, somehow something comes around the corner we weren't expecting, and there we are. And so the analogy continues of this idea of birth and what it means to be a new creation in Christ and to live into this new way of being human and to come alive because we have the same experience when we're Christians that, you know, when we, we become Christians, we might have this really wonderful emotional response to the love of God and understanding who God really is. But then we're called into discipleship to bring this experience of an understanding of the love of God into the real world and into our lives. And the rest of our lives will be unpacking this cry, this dissonance, this disconnect between the love of God that we know in part, but also this world we live that throws so many things at us, right? And this is especially important to, I think, just really think about a lot for us as we see uh, historians call our time and especially in the last year or two years, this age of anxiety, uh, this age of fear, that somehow, even though we are here uh, in Redondo Beach, uh, in a sanctuary that's beautiful, and we sung wonderful songs, uh, that we have people, some that we know well, some that uh, we're just meeting, but some who we've gone through life for a really long time together, and we've been friends, and we've served together. We've bonded over the ways in which God has shown up in our lives in every circumstance. And so in our uh, very present reality here, our rooted reality in this place, we are safe. We are here, and we are experiencing very little triggers that would cause us to be afraid. But yet, our culture is defined by fear and anxiety. And so what are the ways in which the portholes by which fear can enter in for each and every one of us? What are those things? Conjure them up. What is the, if you would fill in the blank, as Paul's litany here, would you join with him and say that some of these things might give you a little fright from time to time? Hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword, death, demons, the unknown, time's cruel march forward, anything else, anything else 
that you might come up with or that Paul would say, I don't know about yet, but is coming up in the future? How would you fill in that blank? I remember uh, watching the Dodgers lose in their final game and feeling disheartened. <laughs> um, and I was sitting in a pizza place with my mom as we were watching the game, but on the other TV and, you know, the world of many TVs, was the, the local news was left on. So as we're watching the game, we're also seeing the images of the local news come on, and now I'm receiving all of this information that I didn't have before, like a repeated story of what I should be afraid of. From one car, sh- car chase to the next burglary to the next shooting to the next whatever it is that you should be afraid of. And this messaging was just coming and coming and coming in a litany. And if that TV was not on, none of that would have been my concern. So I guess the question for us as disciples in this time is what information and at what amount are we letting in and how do we live and exist in a world that is shaping and forming us, catechizing us is the old way of saying this, the information of our world and and the things that uh, we experience that comes in, the messages that come in, form us and shape us. And so we might just think of the amounts of information and what information and what resource they're coming from and how much of that is coming from, from what we're doing here and from what's happening at church and how much of it is coming from just having the TV on or the phone on or what, and our conversations with our friends and family and what's going on there. Because the concern is that our very genuine and important mechanism of fear This emotion that cues us in on what is of grave concern and puts us in a state where we need to react to what is going on, bad things that are going on, present in our reality or maybe something we need to address that would be long term. But that fear still is such a force in our lives that if we live in a state of fear, then our spirits are atrophied. We don't realize it. We're being catechized to live in states of fear. Part of the reason for that is because fear drives eyeballs and attention. And so even though I don't want to watch what's on the news, I can't help but look at what is big and scary and wonder why it is the way that it is that bad things happen in the world. But the amount of that that I'm taking in and not processing in light of what's being said here and what we're getting to, the more I misplace this important mechanism of fear. And as we live in a state of fear, we then translate into exhaust and anxiety and perpetual states of uh, being unrooted from our own space and place and reality and now taken to places that maybe are not our responsibility or something that we can have an effect on in our local place or the next right decision for us to make. And instead, we're left in death scroll, which some of you may have heard of, some of you may not, but that's like 
what the new lingo around when you're on your phone and you're just searching and you find something that you're afraid of and you can't help but click to the next thing and to the next thing and to the next thing until you're almost like addicted to the next scroll and you're up late at night anxious about things that you didn't even know were happening. And now you're in this spiral. And so lift it out, Paul says, lift it out. Draw it from your unconscious mind. Let's talk about the hard stuff. Let's talk about the things that motivate us, even if we're not conscious of it, around fear as this great motivator that can be totally commodified. And fear, if we're in a state of fear, we might make decisions we wouldn't otherwise make. We might spend money we would not otherwise spend. We might click on something we might not otherwise click on because we're afraid and we're concerned. And so there's this driving force that's saying, would you stay in this perpetual fear so I can make a dollar off of you or get some power, get you to do something I want you to do, have some influence over you? And so what do we do? We lift it out, as Paul says, as he describes, and then he says, let's view it in a new way. Yes, the world is a big, scary place. And yet, and yet, we are here in this time and place, and God wants us here to experience it all, all the slings and arrows, all the peaks and valleys, all the absurdity and frustration and the things that don't make sense. God wants us here to experience all of it. God has made us here rooted in this place, in this moment. And those things are there to teach us something about what it means to be alive and in this place and also what human beings can do to bring about something better, what you can do to bring about something better. So we bring all the fear into the room, we surface it, we fill in that blank, that subterranean unconscious mind, we bring it to conscious mind to declare something alongside Paul, a declaration that is only made possible because of the unique and unrivaled power of Jesus Christ. This unmatched victor who won not by might or military or sword, but who won through sacrifice and service and love and took on all that the world could hurl at him, took on this persecution, took on the insult, took on the might of the Roman Empire, took it all on and died on a Roman cross in death and defeat. He experienced exactly what's being articulated here. But then that third day rose again, defeating all of these powers that once had the ability to separate us from the love of God, but no longer have that ability. And can you imagine what it would be like for a disciple who just witnessed Jesus experience all that the world could throw at him, experience death, and then think, this is it, we're done, we're defeated, only to then encounter the risen Christ and to think in your mind, to think in their minds, 
what can they do? They've done it all. Everything they possibly could think to do, they've done it. And it didn't work. How does that change how we live in the world? How did it change those first Christians and how they lived in the world? If we were not afraid, what decisions would we make? How would it change our next choice if we truly believed that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God? Nothing. That we could be free to make all kinds of different decisions. One of the analogies that I've been using, if you've been journeying for a while with me, and that's you're just going to have to accept, I'm going to interpret the ocean as much as I can. <laughs> I'm a surfer, and uh, I've been using this uh, metaphor of a big outside wave. Sometimes if you've been in the ocean, you know this experience. You're in, in, inside trying to catch some waves, and then all of a sudden there's a big outside wave, and you get caught inside, it's called as a surfer. You're caught inside. You know there's a big old wave coming your way. There's nothing you can do about it except embrace for impact, get ready to uh, get wrecked, essentially, get machine washed. And so I've been talking about how the pandemic has felt like that, like, man, there's just a big outside wave. How do we brace for the impact of this? How do we prepare ourselves? Being anxious isn't going to help when you're getting taken out, right? But you've got to get as calm as you can if you're under that water. And maybe you surface, you get a breath, and you go under again and again. But I think we've been in this long enough now where maybe we need a new metaphor to join with us as we've gone through this experience of being uh, tossed about to and fro. Uh, sometimes when you watch the waves, in particular places, in particular times, there's a break wall or a rock. And what it can do is that big wave comes, but then that big wave's energy hits the wall, a break wall, and then it brings a new surge of water back out into the ocean. This is like called backwash. And this, this new water that comes can sometimes create what's called constructive interference, which would create these beautiful waves, right? And constructive interference is when two energies come together in waves and they build on each other. They create uh, double the size of the wave. When you're surfing, sometimes you be riding a wave and then it hits constructive interference and then that thing just launches you up in the air. Like you just get shot up. It's pretty fun, but also a little bit uh, dangerous. But I want us to think about this analogy of thinking, okay, on the one side, right, there's this big scary wave this wave of anxiety, this wave of our culture, this wave that's teaching us how to live and how to be, um, whether conscious or unconscious of it, it is shaping who we are as disciples. And that's very real and present and it should not be minimized. But what we see here on the other side is that in light of who Jesus is, that what he can do is take this fear, take this wave of fear, take all the energy of that and like a break wall can just turn it back and bring energy that goes back towards the ocean, back towards that wave, and then all of a sudden we see this collision. And we live in an imperfect world. And so in many ways, what we can hope for is that we are part of this wave that is going back 
towards the wave of fear, this wave of love. And the display of that is this great crash, this beautiful expression. Maybe next time you see one of these, this is why I'm doing this, you're going to think about this wave of love that you need to bring back towards the wave of fear, a new information to counter the information of the world that's saying, no, God has a new way to inform you of a way to live in the world. And when you do that, what it does is create this beautiful crash, this beautiful splash. There's three ways that I'm going to use as a framework for maybe how you could think of that, this wave, depending on where you are at in your life. Um, So if we have it on the slides... Um, This is from a book by Ronald Rollheiser. I think we have it. Do you have the next slide? No? You're looking? Oh, there it is. Okay, great. Um, And it's a framework for how to think of the phase of life that you are in and what your discipleship formation would look like in these three different uh, formation stages. And then what we're going to just think of for a second is, depending on what stage you're in or what you're experiencing, how would the fact that you cannot be separated from the love of God inform this stage, okay? The first one, and it's a little poetic, so I'm going to help to draw out the theme. The first one says, I am a bow in your hands, Lord. Draw me, lest I rot. This is speaking of the first stage of adulthood, when we're searching for purpose. We're searching for becoming a tool that God could use, that we're actually made to be employed by God. And what we don't want to do, what we want to avoid, is rot. One of the great fears I see in our young people and our young adults and and even beyond is this sense by which there are so many choices, so many things that you could be, so many options. It's very difficult to discover, God, how did you make me How would you use me uniquely in my place with my gifts to be a tool for what your purposes are in the world? And so there's a lot of anxiety about launching, right? Launching into the world, finding uh, our spouse, finding our job. Uh, Those are the concerns of people at a certain life stage. There's all kinds of fear around that. Sometimes we forget about that when we get into the next life stage, how anxiety-producing that can be for our young people. We lose compassion because we're like, well, you'll be fine. Well, we only know that because we're on the other side of this journey. Okay, and then the second is, do not overdraw me, Lord, for I shall break. In that second stage, when we we enter into uh, our families, we enter into our workplace, Now we start taking on responsibilities, lots of responsibilities. If we do well with our responsibilities, we get more responsibilities. All of a sudden, we have plates spinning all over the place. We're taking care of so many different things all of the time that we, our majority experience would be something like overwhelm. Like, I'm not strong enough to hold all of this. And then the external world's messaging and information comes in and says, not only do you have to worry about your family, your job, and your tasks, but you also need to worry about all of the other crises going on in all the other places. And, and now 
you're in a state of perpetual overwhelm. What is my opinion on every last issue, on every last thing I could possibly be needing to think about? And this overwhelm, I think the invitation here in God's love is to say, you can take care of what you need to take care of. Take the next best right step for you and not so much think about all the things that you could possibly solve or possibly do, but what is the next best step for you in your discipleship journey? Sometimes what happens when we're thinking globally about all the concerns and we get in fights about all this big stuff is that it can keep us from just taking that next right step that we know we need to take. And it reprioritizes what we care about. And so there's a way by which we need to think thoughtfully and discerning about what is our best next step in our journey and what do we need to entrust to God and to say, you know what, God, because of me or in spite of me, your love will continue to grow and to flourish throughout history until you accomplish your purposes within this world. And sometimes uh, in surfing, it, it can go the other way in very unique cases people can actually start surfing the backwash of a wave back out into the sea. And in some ways, this divine reversal is actually the metaphor for what God is doing through Jesus and his purposes within the world, is taking all of the bad stuff, that's what Romans 8 is all about, somehow working it out for his disciples, for the good of those who love him, taking every negative thing, every bad force, and redirecting it, rechanneling it back into something beautiful and wonderful that will one day be the reality, this great reversal. And so all we have to do at the end of the day is to say, God, you're in charge. Please take it. Take all of this and let me live in my lane and be responsible for what you've called me to do first and foremost. And then finally, this last stage, overdraw me, Lord, and who cares if I break? This is speaking of the last phase of our life that we will all experience. That whether we like it or not, we all are facing death. I love the way the poet puts it here. That ultimately, going through this final phase is a final phase of surrender to say, I'm going to die, I will break, and that is okay. I accept this reality of living. I accept that my job is to break. I'm going to give everything I can. I'm going to serve as best as I possibly know how with every breath that I have until my last and final breath. And on that last and final breath, I will realize that even death cannot separate me from the love of God. This is the ultimate and final stage of our life on earth. One of the beautiful legacies of this church is Mary Cox's school in Uganda. And that's part of Juna Amagara, 
uh, ministries that was spoken by Lori last week as she invited us into this campaign of 40-40-40 where we're trying to sponsor uh, children to go to school and to have them to have a sustainability uh, as they go through all of life's challenges in a much more dramatic way than we do because they don't even have their basic needs met. And yet for $40 a month, we can send them to school, we can give them clothing, we can shelter them, and there are thousands, thousands of children that have been orphaned because of HIV AIDS in that area. And so our campaign of 40-40-40, in light of who Mary Cox was, is a wonderful part of our church who passed away too soon, but lived her life as a legacy that will live on through this school, who will live on through uh, her sacrifice, um, even through her death, in order to provide for these children she doesn't know, but who she knew needed it the most, and who her daughters and her family carry on as a legacy and as extension of a part of this church. And so we're inviting people in this time to participate, to sponsor a child. We have one at our house. We're doing our best to, uh, you know, do what we can to communicate with Nelson and read his messages. The kids are being invited to do this in Sunday school, and the youth are doing this in the youth program. And the reason for that is simply because we want to be used by God for something that matters. And we want this church to be used by God for something that matters because there could be a million causes, there could be a million things we're concerned about, but nothing's better than the best next step to build the kingdom of God. And so this is just one expression of that in this season in the life of our church. So I encourage you, if you haven't thought about that yet, to think and pray, and then you can see Lori after the church service if you want to sponsor somebody. Uh, and, and some of you did that last week, which is fantastic. Just want to keep encouraging that. I'm going to leave you with one last poem as I come to the end here. This is from Wendell Berry, and I find it to be a beautiful expression of what life really feels like. It says this, It may be that when we, when we no longer know what to do, we have come to our real work. And that when we no longer know which way to go, we have come to our real journey. The mind that is not baffled is not employed. The impeded stream is the one that sings. So may you take all the resistance that you're experiencing it, and may you place it into the hands of the one who can turn it around and make it love, make it the kingdom of God, make you a person that sings because of this impeded stream, and may it be a wonderful worship and sacrifice unto our Lord. Let us pray together. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would uh, give us the next right step, that your perfect love would cast out all fear as we receive it now by your grace that forgives us no matter what we've done, no matter where we've been, that you give us another chance to live in light of your love. And so may we this week make decisions that would be informed by just how much you love us 
And may we be so encouraged by the fact that no matter what happens, it cannot separate us from that love. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Will you stand and we'll sing together.